The following is a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society. Welcome again to Grace in Focus from the Grace Evangelical Society. So glad that you have decided to spend some time with us today. Today, a question and answer episode. And the question is, if all other gods are not previously renounced, especially with Hinduism or maybe with another religion, can one be eternally saved? So this is a question for Bob Wilkin and Ken Yates about polytheism. And as a part of the answer, they will look at some people and references and incidents in Scripture. And I think that you will find it very interesting. So stay right there as I tell you that our website is faithalone.org. And we want you to come and visit our website and see some of the things that are there for you. Products and resources, videos, a magazine, a free subscription magazine called Grace in Focus. And you'll find it all at faithalone.org. Now let's get on with our discussion, Bob and Ken. Welcome to Grace in Focus. Ken, what's up? Oh, just uh, having a good day here with you. Well, here's a question from John, and I think it's a very good question. John says, I volunteer in a large-scale evangelism ministry in India. And there are two philosophies in the ministry. One philosophy says you must direct all hearers to renounce all their Hindu gods before or as they trust in Christ or believe in Christ for their salvation or for eternal life. But he says the other philosophy says, don't bother with that because that's a long process and it normally won't happen until a person has, and he's using the words, trusted in Jesus for eternal life and is regenerate and the Holy Spirit can start pruning all of those deep spiritual and cultural strongholds. So let's go over that again. Method one, they've got to renounce all their polytheistic ways, all these Hindu gods, which I think in uh, India there's over a million. Oh, yeah. they're on every, Well, I was in Nepal three or four times yeah. teaching, and yeah, there's a idol on every corner. And people know. have their own gods, right? Oh, oh yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. Or... Option two is they don't need to renounce their gods. They simply need to believe the message of John 3.16. And then over time, as they're discipled, their polytheistic ways will go away. Am I summarizing John's yeah, question? That's how I understood oh, it. What do we say about that? Well, I think there's a couple things to say about that. Number one is we have to be real careful, first of all, lumping all Hindus together. My experience over there was that so many things are like good luck charms and stuff like that. So there's going to be Hindus like that. There's going to be secular Hindus, if I can't call it for anything else. It just says, well, this is just a part of my culture. So I just think there's a wide range of what people believe. And I think the bottom line, do they believe in Jesus for eternal life? I doubt very seriously that any of these Hindus are trusting in these false gods to give them eternal life. At least I never heard that when I was over there. Yeah, that's a very good point. If they are not believing that somehow their belief in Kali, for example, I believe that's the goddess with all the arms. They got some really ugly gods. Or I think they got Ram. Isn't Ram one of the Mm -hmm. gods? It seems to me they are not believing that these gods are giving them everlasting life or eternal destiny. For one thing, it's the teaching of Hinduism as well as Sikhism and Jainism and Buddhism. People are reincarnated, right? Right. But I did a little bit of research before we did this, and did you know that in India only 40% of the Hindus 
actually believe in reincarnation? I just want to throw a couple other things out there. Cornelius in Acts 10. As a Roman soldier, he would have believed in many different local gods, at least earlier. And so it's interesting to me that he's not told to clean up all of his false beliefs. Now, someone might respond and say, well, he didn't have any false beliefs. He had already cleaned all that up. Maybe he did. I don't know. But it's also possible that Cornelius was someone who was at least influenced by these other things. Think of Naaman in the Old Testament. Sure. Naaman seems to come to faith. I mean, he but definitely he... comes to believe in Yahweh. Now, whether he believes in the coming Messiah for eternal life is not clear. But remember, he says, when I go into Dagon with, uh, with the, the king... king He says, I'm going to have to bow. I hope that's okay. Now, he doesn't say he still believes in Dagon. He probably doesn't. But he did say, I'm going to have to bow. And he wanted to take dirt back. What was all that about? You know, they had all these superstitions. I also remember years ago, Charles Ryrie spoke at the GES conference. He talked about the believers in Ephesus who were still having their magical books. Yeah, I think that's Ephesians 19, and that was about a year and a half after they came to faith, and they finally come and burn them, and they said it was something like 10,000 pieces of silver worth. It was valuable books. And Ryrie said if you had to turn from your sins in order to be born again, if lordship salvation were true, well, then how is it they're only now burning their magic book? <laughs> and then I would ask the question on that same level. Well, if all those Hindus have to say, okay, before you can believe, you need to get rid of all these superstitious beliefs or whatever else you have about these things. Why didn't the Ephesians have to do that with their magic? That's a good point. Take Nicodemus. Mm-hmm. He just has to believe John 3.16 to be born again. Right. So does a modern Hindu have to believe more than John 3.16? And if not, is it possible to believe John 3.16 and believe in polytheism? If it is, now I know a lot of people are going to go, wait, wait, wait a minute. You've got to be a monotheist to be born again. Mm -hmm. Do we know that from Scripture? I would suggest, like you say, a lot of this is cultural And a lot of it is superstitious. And also, a lot of it has to do with not eternal destiny, but with their concern for this life and blessings in this life. If you go to some of these places in India, don't they leave out food for the rats because they believe the rats are gods too? Yeah, and you know they won't when it comes to cows. If a cow walks out in the middle of the street... They'll just wait there. Traffic will back up for miles. They certainly won't ever hit a cow. You know. I don't even think they hardly get it out of the way, do right. they? Right, uh, yeah. And when I was there, this is Nepal now, they would not move it. I- I'll give you another example. There was an idol nearby where I was staying, and they had this, it looked like a calf to me out there. And what the people would do, the calf had ears. They would hold their children up to pray into one ear of the calf and put their hand on the other ear of the calf so that the prayer wouldn't escape on the other end, (laughs) outside the other side. Now, was this a statue or a real calf? No, it was a statue. It was like a bronze statue. Now, here's my question. The parents who were doing that, and people were taking pictures. Some of them were laughing and stuff. Okay, these are Hindus. Did they believe that that cow was hearing their prayers, or was this a cultural thing? Was this a good luck charm like the people in Ephesus with their magical incantations and stuff like that, these believers? Because that's what they were doing. And so what is the difference? 
I'll give you another example. Sean and Sharon and I went to Scotland back in November 2016, and one of the places we went was a big statue. I believe it was Hume, who was a a humanist, famous humanist. The statue had him sitting, and I guess he had either no shoes or sandals on, and one of his big toes was worn shiny (laughs) because people come up and rub his big toe for good luck. It's almost like they're praying to Hume that they're going to get some good fortune by touching his big toe. Do these people actually believe there's something to it? Probably most don't, but at least some of them do. And do the parents who put their hand on the other side of the calf's ear, do some of them believe that's really having some benefit? Probably some of them do. Here's the point. Unless the scriptures tell us that a Hindu must give up his belief in however many deities he believes in, then what we do is we preach Christ. We preach that Christ is the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And if they somehow think that the way is Jesus plus their gods, then they're not born again, right? That's absolutely right. But if they believe that by faith in Jesus alone, they have everlasting life, they would still be born again, even with faulty theology, right? That's what I would say, yes. Now, a lot of people would say that can't be. You can't be a polytheist and be born again. Okay, I get that. I just don't see that in Scripture. What we could say is it's illogical. It is illogical. It, it is certainly illogical. Right. And that's stupid, and how can you think that? And it's not. But are there people who are illogical? Absolutely. Yeah, I believe that Jesus gives me eternal life, but I... I believe that maybe if I go say a prayer in this little bronze thing, maybe I'll get a good job or something. Well, I got another illustration. How many people who are born-again Christians read their horoscope? Maybe millions? Yes. And how many of those people think there may be just a little bit of something to it? Well, I'll take it a step further. The Philippian jailer. You know that Philippian jailer, if he had any concept of God's, he thought that there were many gods. Right. And, nope. and it doesn't appear that Paul and Silas Did talked not, to him yeah, about like, that. I'm going to straighten this out before I tell you about yeah. believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. First off, we got to get rid of these other gods. Right. And I think that's significant. If, if this was a requirement, Paul would have certainly assumed this is a polytheistic person here yeah. in, in the Roman Empire. And so we need to address that first. Well, even the emperors claim to be gods in human form, right? Exactly. They fulfilled the function of God upon earth, and then they would join the gods in actuality after death. So with John's question, with the two options, do you have to tell Hindus that they must renounce all of their Hindu gods in order to be born again? The answer would be no, because if you're telling them that, then faith in Christ is not enough. Yes, I would say no It's faith in Christ plus renouncing all your false views. The second question is, do you not get into that, but just tell them that Jesus alone is the Savior, and if you believe in him, you have everlasting life, that he, when he died on the cross for your sins, removed the sin barrier, John 129. Nobody else has ever done that. If you believe in him, he gives you everlasting life. And none of the gods in Hinduism makes that promise. They don't promise that. Right. No. Hinduism is essentially a work salvation religion. Buddhism. All of those religions are work salvation religions. What Jesus is offering is simply by faith in him, he gives everlasting life as a free gift, as what he calls the gift 
of God. And let me just say, to believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life is a rejection of Hinduism. It is, right? Whether people recognize (laughs) it or not. Exactly. Right. Okay, well, keep grace in focus. Thank you both for that informative discussion. Our goal at the Grace Evangelical Society is to teach Scripture clearly and without confusion. One of the best tools for that clarity, we believe, is our website. It's faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. On our site, we have all kinds of materials that are designed to help you mature and grow in your faith and your understanding of Scripture. Please come visit us at faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. You'll be glad you did. God loves a cheerful giver, and that's why we think our financial partners are some of the happiest people in the world. If you would like to learn how to become a financial partner with Grace in Focus, we would very much appreciate it. Learn more at faithalone.org. It's really exciting to hear from our listeners. So if you've got a question, comment, or feedback, I hope you'll reach out to us. Best way to do that is through email. Here is our email address. It's radio at faithalone.org. That's radio at faithalone.org. On the next episode of Grace in Focus, someone is wondering about the possibility of a small time gap between the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation period. It'll be an interesting discussion, and I hope you'll join us. This is the Grace Evangelical Society. Until next time, let's keep grace in focus. The proceeding has been a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society.